Uh, I want to revisit the passage we read last week, uh, the story of the unforgiving servant. But what I want you to do is, I don't want you to read it yourself. I want you to listen to me. I want to read it to you. Because uh, the Bible's really made, believe it or not, the Bible's made, as much as we study it, and it, and it is made to be studied, it's made primarily to, to be heard first. Uh, and this story in particular, it's, it, it, it's kind of familiar, and you're going to hear it differently as I read it. So after I read it, then you will refer back to it. So uh, let's pray for a second. Lord, we know that uh, your word is just a, it's a, it's a, a mine, a, a rich mine of wisdom and truth and love and power, and it, and it makes you real to us. It, and especially it reveals Jesus. And we just pray through this parable that Jesus spoke, we would see Jesus through it, and we would, we would hear your word for us today. And uh, thank you for being present here, Lord. We sense your presence as we've uh, sung your praises. And now as we open our heart to your word, we, we pray that your presence would come even more powerfully. Amen. Okay, uh, Matthew 18, 21. Uh, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And at this point, there's a big gulp. As Peter heard that, what do you mean by that? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the, ma the, the master, the king, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master, the king, everything that had happened. When the master, the king, called the servant in, he said, You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master, the king, turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus doesn't, I think there's only two parables that Jesus explains. But he doesn't want us to misunderstand this one. So he tells us at the end, if you didn't get the point, this is the point. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So this is a parable. I mean, it, it, in my Bible, in your, in your paperback versions, if, you, if you're looking at them, it's it, uh, oftentimes the publishers will create little headings for stories. And this heading says the parable of a merciful servant. But the parable is really more about the merciful king. This parable is about a king 
who showed mercy like no one had ever heard of before. And when Peter, because you have to remember the backdrop of this question is Peter thinks he's, he's got a struggle with somebody. Who knows who it is? He's having a rough time relationally with somebody. And he comes to Jesus and says, listen, how many times should I forgive this guy? Seven times? Even seven times? I mean, gosh, that's a lot. How many, I mean, isn't it enabling people if you just keep forgiving them? And Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times. And some translations say seven, 70 times seven, even more, 490 times. And so Peter, I'm sure, and the rest of, of Jesus' followers just go, like jaws drop. What on earth are you talking about? How, how can anybody be that merciful and forgiving? Now, we talked about this last week, and I want to take you to another place in the parable and show you something else that's here that's really important. And ironically, this morning someone asked me, uh, wrote me a, a testimony about uh, how God spoke to him this week in the aftermath of last week's teaching about this, and it matches perfectly what I wanted to share this morning. So I thought, it's kind of timely. I think that we need to hear this. There's, a, there's something else in this passage besides what we learned last week. In fact, I think we could teach about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I wanted you to see first, this parable is about the king's mercy. It's extravagant in a way that we don't get it because we don't understand the, 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 the currency that they're talking about here. So uh, what did he say? The man, uh, and we mentioned last week that this is probably a, a, a regional ruler, okay, a regional provincial governor who's called in to the king of, who's over a large empire. And the king, what happens is the king will uh, give these little regional empires out to certain people. And the kings, you know, his armies have conquered. And, and so it's, there's this picture of generosity in this that from start to finish. And it's the backdrop of this, this story. And when we hear of Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Father being uh, hard-nosed about certain things, we go, people are a little suspicious, like, Jesus talked about your Heavenly Father. Isn't your Heavenly Father, we, you know, isn't he a good, good father? Yeah, he is. That's what this parable says. This parable says the good, good father is enacting a good, good kingdom, and it's a kingdom of forgiveness. But it's a kingdom of forgiveness like nobody's ever seen before. And if you don't want to live under that kingdom of forgiveness, he will let you not live under it, but then he'll let you experience what it's like to not live under a kingdom of that kind of forgiveness. That's what he's saying in this parable. And, and there's real-world implications to that. Your life is impacted by the kingdom you choose to live under. Everybody's is. There's only two kingdoms. I know we live in a religiously pluralistic world that believes there's lots of different kingdoms. And we got to, you know, we, I can accept that someone else believes that. I don't have to agree with them. I can respect them. I can believe that they need to be protected under law like I am or like anybody, even somebody that believes in something that's totally bizarre and everybody knows is wacky, they still should experience the protection of, of law, civil law. But it, 
it doesn't mean that they're right. Do you understand? It doesn't. And in time, you start seeing the implications of it in people's lives. So this, this king does something, and we talked about this last week, that kings don't do, people don't, don't do until they understand what, what the grace of God's about. And it's this, for the king to forgive these, and currency here, he said uh, 10,000 talents, this is, this is an unimaginable amount of money. Scholars have argued over this for decades and decades and decades and said, you know, some say it's like, you know, the, the national debt of the United States, and some t- say it's hundreds of times like that. It's just a figure that, that you can't even get your head around, okay? And how one provincial governor could ever squander that much capital, it's hard to understand, but that's the point of the story. And so the king, who's ultimately responsible, he absorbs that cost of that himself. Because in those days, the kings owned everything, right? And so when that's what, that's what is painful about forgiveness is when you forgive, you're absorbing the cost of it. That's why it's so hard to do. You're saying, I'm letting you off. You did something wrong that hurt me. And on top of hurting me, I'm going to accept the pain of letting you go. Because that's what he said here, the king. Remember the three words? It says three phrases from last week. I've got to find it again. Uh, it says uh, the servants, the king took pity on the servant, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's literally what the word forgive means. One of the several meanings of the word forgive it means to let him go. So instead of making him pay... He absorbed the debt. He canceled the debt, absorbed the debt, and let him go. We're really reluctant to do that because that's painful to do that. That costs you something. You cost me already, and now you want me to bear the cost again? Yeah, that's what forgiveness is. We don't have to do it on our own. But we do feel there's something that costs you when you forgive. So the impact of this forgiveness is what we, a lot of times, people don't see in this story is, when, uh, when we forgive, it crowds darkness out. We tend to think, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a, a cute illustration, but, you know, when you're in a dark room and you turn the lights on, the darkness flees. But darkness doesn't flee like that. Darkness gets crowded out. Little by little by little by little. Every act of forgiveness crowds more darkness out. Cultures aren't changed like this. People don't change like this. People pivot and then they start moving in a different direction. See, if I've been moving this direction my whole life and making progress a certain direction, when I turn like this, I don't all of a sudden find myself 300 miles down the road, do I? I begin to move in a different direction, and that's what change is. The most common motif for a walk of faith in the Bible is called a journey or a walk. And and back in that time, they didn't have rapid transit like we have. In their minds, the whole idea of of walking, of journeying in faith, was this slow, steady thing. And it doesn't mean there aren't dynamic moments 
where God impacts you, that empower you to keep going forward. Because when I turn, when, when I turn from this direction to begin to follow Jesus, I feel the power of inertia of the movement of my life for however long in this direction. As I move back this way, I feel it on me. I feel it in me. Even though I'm a new creation in Christ, I feel things I felt before. Don't say you don't. Even if you reckon yourself dead to that, you still feel those things. You, there's still a battle. Paul talked about it. He said, I have to die daily. There's going to be a battle. And the forgiveness thing, what it begins to do as we choose to forgive and choose to say, I will not live under this kingdom of darkness that's a kingdom of merciless justice and more than justice, injustice. I will not live that way. When I choose not to live that way, I begin to crowd darkness out of my life. And here's the thing. It affects other people. My story and my life affect the environment around me. People feel it. The the, the ambience of my life begins to shift, and other people feel it. And after the king did this, remember what it says? What brought the the unforgiving servant's unforgivingness to the king's attention? I said it last week. It's, you, try it. Who, who, who knows? I've forgotten. Let's just say I've forgotten up here. Help me. Senior moment. The other servants. And how, what did they feel like when they saw this man who was the, he was an unfaithful servant. Then he became a forgiving servant. Then he had a chance to become a person who extended that forgiveness, and he became an unforgiving servant. That got their attention. They became indignant. But you know what? Why were they indignant? That was the way the world worked. But they saw something different. This king, he paid this price that no king had ever paid before. And nothing was the same. Nothing is the same. When you see real forgiveness, you go, oh, I want me some of that. I want that to go on around me. That's way better. I like that. But it doesn't mean there isn't accountability. You see that? Do you understand? When people think about unforgiveness, isn't that enabling? There's accountability in this. The kingdom has accountability. But it runs on mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But if you don't want mercy, you, what do you get? Judgment and wrath is where God just steps back from you and says, I'll give you what you want. You don't want me, I'll give you not me. And it's a miserable way to live. For some reason, this man wanted that. And so, look. He he could have tapped back into whatever he felt when he walked out of that room after being declared forgiven. The freedom, the joy, and all that. 
But he tapped into something else. And, that, and, and, he, and it fueled this anger. He, he saw the man, and he didn't see him the way the king saw him. We looked at that, remember? And so the, what, he, what he says about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of costly forgiveness that pushes out darkness. Every time it's practiced, it pushes more darkness out. Now, the, dark, the darkness will push back because you're going to get hurt again by people. It's inevitable. Jesus said, I promise you, if you follow me, you will have persecutions and difficulties. Everything will not work the way you think it's supposed to work. Because the world's going downstream and you're going upstream. And upstream is our created purpose. And when you rub your hand against the grain of the wood, you're going to get splinters. It's just a fact of life. So, this kingdom is a kingdom of costly forgiveness that's really hard to get our heads around unless we're tasting that forgiveness, unless we're connecting to that king over and over and over. It's really hard to do this thing. It, I'm just telling you, it, you can't sustain this on your own. You're not meant to do it on your own. Don't do this at home, kids without a king. That's the way it works. So, let me look here. I want to kind of zip ahead. Okay, so, the forgiven servant, he can extend the forgiveness, but he chooses not to. And, even though this is the way things normally go, not anymore, like I said, and, the forgiven servant won't pay the cost of forgiveness. He won't embrace it. Won't do it. Doesn't think it's worth it. Who knows what he thinks about the king, but at this point, he's not thinking the right way, is he? And so, when he gets to this point, the king hears about it, and the king says, I'm turning you over to the jailers till you pay back what you owe. What does it mean to do that. That's what I want to consider just for a second. And I'm going to give you two stories, two real life stories. One of them is going to be live. One's I'm just going to tell you, retail, and one's live. When you, the, the jailers work you and you lose your freedom, when you go to jail, you lose your freedom. I used to work in a ministry and we used to do these wild outreaches and we had teams that would go from our ministry, and they would go and get locked up in juvenile lockups. One of them was here in Columbus. One of them was in Columbia, South Carolina, and some other places. And they would get locked up with these kids in prison, and they'd live with them to share the gospel, to kind of be, you know, in-cell chaplains. And let me tell you something. When you go into you know, a place that has security, you lose certain freedoms, you know? Like, all of a sudden, you just can't go get an icy whenever you want to. You have the money in your pocket. You don't have the freedom to go get the icy from 7-Eleven. You guys know what icies are? They're Slurpees up here. That's right. So I'm sorry. It's my Texas roots. They, we call them icies. They're Slurpees up here. Right? Same thing. You lose your freedom. And you go, what does it mean to lose my freedom? The warning is, when we 
decide that we don't want the kingdom of forgiveness, we open ourselves up, we, we, we open windows, we open doors to our lives, to every area of our lives, for demonic spirits to begin to mess with us. And it's impossible to chronicle all the ways that the enemy can do this. But it's a, it's a New Testament principle, it's an Old Testament principle. It's illustrated, it's, it's taught uh, didactically. And what happens is you lose freedom. And many of us have forfeited freedom in our lives increasingly, in our health, in our emotional life, in finances, in all kinds of areas, because we won't forgive. We won't live under the kingdom of forgiveness because it's costly and it doesn't feel fair to us. But we don't realize. God says, if, if, if you think you know more than me, I'm going to let you live the way you want to live. I'm just not going to protect you the way I promised to protect you because I'm wiser than you. And we have this covenant in Jesus. And you're still in Jesus, but I'm going to let you have your way. And I'm just telling you, it's, this is true. This happens to you. If you're unforgiving, you lose freedom. That's the warning of this parable. It's straightforward. You don't want God's freedom of forgiveness. You're going to lose freedom in other areas. Meaningful. And, 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 and it ratchets up over time. Because the, the danger about being unforgiving is your heart starts getting calloused, which is getting hard. And callous builds up over time. And you become less sensitive. And what keeps me sensitive to the fact that I'm forgiving people is my heart is sensitive. But when I harden my heart, then when people, because, because I decide I don't want to forgive people, and so if people are tough on me, I'll just tough back, you know? I'm just going to teach you. You can't treat me that way. I won't take it. And I just start getting this edge to me, and I lose this sensitivity, and then I lose more freedom. It's just simple, the way the math works. So this is, sometimes this is a slow, painful process. So give you an example. I told you two stories, and then we'll... Uh, and then I'll tell you one story, and then I want to tell you just three areas that you might not think of in your life that need forgiveness. But one of them is in this story. There was a lady lived in Chicago. She's part of a small group, and they prayed for healing all the time. And they, they saw a lot of healing. Well, this one lady uh, got this case of crippling arthritis. And the arthritis began, it was progressive. If you know what arth- progressive kind of a disease is, it slowly increased, and she got prayer over and over. And, uh, while she's getting prayer and not getting better, people are being healed around her. So it wasn't like God wasn't present, but what, what's, what's this thing going on? And one day, as they were praying for her, again, to be healed, this situation in her life came to mind. Boom. This is how it works. And she thought, Oh my gosh, in, in, her, in her life, she lived in an apartment building, and there was an, a, a, an invalid who lived above her, and every day, this person, this, this lady, would, would just, out of the kindness of her heart, take lunch up to her neighbor. 
okay? And it should do it every day at clockwork at, you know, noon. And every day at 5 to noon, the phone would ring, and she'd pick it up, and her neighbor would say, are you coming? You know, like she's, she's at the door with the plate of food. Are you coming? And after a while, yeah, right? Am I coming? Am I coming? Every day. Now, this isn't someone kidnapping your child. You understand? But this can work on you, can't it? Petty things, I want to tell you, petty things need forgiveness. Some petty things need patience. But petty things like this need forgiveness. And so what started happening was the phone would ring and she would tense up, right? And in her mind, all the thoughts. <laughs> when, if, if you ever are, are replaying in your mind things you'd like to say to someone, forgiveness and you're laughing because you're laughing because that shoe hit home. You need to forgive somebody if you if you've done that, because you, you want to be the bigger person, but you're human. Do you get it? You're human. You're getting hurt by this, and the truth is that poor lady was afraid of. She was alone, and she's afraid of being abandoned. And is this person going to come? You know, the anxiety she felt caused her to call every day. Anyway, the poor lady with the, you know, the plate of food, she finally goes, oh my gosh, I need to forgive this woman. And so she went, uh, they, they were meeting in a, a church that had a, a sort of a different, more liturgical kind of altar, and they had an altar up. And so this lady went up and knelt down at the altar with her friends from the 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 prayer group that met in the church. And, uh, and she repented of her attitude towards this lady and of her unforgiveness. She said, I'm sorry, Lord. I should have forgiven this lady a long time before this. She was instantly healed. Like the, the crippling arthritis just left her. And the lady I know who led that and was praying for her said, people think this doesn't happen. The presence of God is always around. This is what happens when we withhold unforgiveness. It binds the power, the healing presence of God in a weird way. That's where it says Jesus went to his hometown. He couldn't do any miracles there because of their unbelief. We're meant to partner with God. We have a role in this. Someday when we look back, when we're standing before God and, you know, the, the, the new heavens and the new earth have started. We're going to look back and see all the God, where were you questions are going to look real different on the other side. We're going to look back and see. There was, it wasn't him, it was me. I was the one that, that was the kink in the hose. And, there, and beyond that, there was, I want to say something, there is a mystery to healing too. That you do all the right things and it still doesn't mean you get everything you want. There's a mystery of that. But healing is here way more than we know. And so I want to suggest just, through, I'm just going to list them for you. Petty things, family things, 
Friends and family. Let's, you know, let's go sprint. Friends and family that you just gloss over, really go over those today before the Lord and say, Lord, does that bother me? And then your enemies. Enemies. Enemies we just write off. Ah. That you can't write people off. People, people are real. They're there. Deal with them. And this kingdom, the kingdom of God, again, thesis point, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of costly forgiveness that crowds out darkness. And it crowds out darkness in other people's lives who don't even want the darkness crowded out of their lives. It, it, it changes things. So, uh, I want to ask Amy, come up here. Amy, hey, Jay, let me have that microphone. Amy has an interesting story that she wrote me about this morning, and I thought this would probably be timely. Amy, I'm going to sit down. Hi, everybody. Um, ironically, it actually took five times to send the email this morning, too. Like, I misspelled, like, I changed letters in John's very simple email address, like, so many times, so I wondered if maybe I was supposed to be sending the email, and I kind of felt like that was a bit of confirmation, but um, about a year and a half ago at my place of employment, I started experiencing some harassment from a gentleman there, and obviously any kind of harassment isn't very pleasant, Um, so there were, you know, appropriate steps taken at my job, and um, everyone was notified correctly, and my job worked with me, and they, you know, put the gentleman through, you know, different things that he should, parameters that he had in place afterwards, and um, it didn't really make it better, unfortunately, so um, I stuck it out for about a year at the place that I was at, um, and finally, about the end of July, I kind of gave up and just said, it's not working. I can't really keep working in this situation anymore. It wasn't really conducive for me and my emotional state, and it wasn't really helping me with my you know, family and, and any other aspect of my life either, really. And so um, I left, and I started looking for another job. And the really one of the really interesting things about me is, and you can ask any of my family, I've always had a really easy time getting jobs. Like, anywhere I go, I think about changing jobs, and I have one waiting for me. Like, someone randomly calls me and says, hey, you want a job? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I like money. Um, And so I started looking for jobs, thinking this isn't going to be anything. Like, it's not going to be a problem at all. I applied for literally over 100 jobs. I went in, I had about 15 to 20 phone interviews, and I had about 10 in-person interviews. Literally nothing. Like, I got absolutely... Sometimes I got feedback, sometimes I didn't, but nothing was working. And I was hitting roadblock after roadblock, and it was really confusing. And so I know my husband, Ted, and I, we were talking, like, what's going on? This is obviously something, you know, this isn't normal for me. So we were kind of just asking God to, you know, enlighten us on what was happening. And that was a couple weeks ago. And then last week, John was talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness and it hit me all of a sudden, like he's in the middle of talking, and I had had a phrase go through my head a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to my former boss, who I love and who's a really good friend of mine, and I said, it's so weird because it feels like John, the other guy's name's John too, sorry. (laughs) You have a really unfortunately common name. Um, 
that I really feel like um, John's blocking me in every place I go. Like, I feel like he's going in and trying to sabotage me. And when Pastor John was talking last week about um, unforgiveness, those, that phrase that I had, that literal phrase that I had go through my head, just rang through my ears. And I said, oh, my gosh, I have to forgive this guy. And I did not want to whatsoever. Because, you know, I know a lot of times people feel like they have victim mentalities in different situations. But in this case, you know, I felt like I actually was a victim, you know, something actually did happen to me and I deserve to be angry and all of this stuff. And I thought about it all night and Ted and I talked about it the next morning at lunch or the next lunchtime. And we were just kind of processing through it. And I said, I admit it out loud. I said, I really... (laughs) I want to cry. <laughs> I really don't want to forgive this guy. It was obviously not a pleasant situation, and I'm angry at him, and I'm hurt about what happened and how it affected me. And I just started crying randomly, <laughs> like right now. Um, and I agree, that's funny. But I just started crying out of nowhere. Um, And I realized that that's what I had to do. And so I just kind of stopped and I said, God, I might not like this guy very much and I don't want to do this. But I also recognize that this is something that you're calling me to do right now very clearly and very obviously. And so I prayed just forgiveness on him and even blessings on him, like just that he would kind of be released from the anger that he wasn't actually experiencing from me, by the way. I haven't talked to this person in so long, so he doesn't actually know about any of my unforgiveness, nor does he care. So um, it's one of those things where it was only hurting me, and it was only affecting me. And so I just kind of stopped, and I broke it off and moved on. And Tuesday, out of the blue, I got this random phone call from a recruiter that I had worked with several months back. And he's like, hey, this job just popped up. Would you like to interview for it? And I'm like, okay. And so they're like, the only time we really have for interviews tomorrow. Can you come in? And I'm like, okay. And then on Thursday, he said, hey, you got the job. Do you want to come in and sign some paperwork tomorrow? And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and I went on third and on Friday to sign the paperwork and they said, actually, we were able to negotiate a better rate for you. So you're going to get a lot more money than we originally thought you were going to get. And I'm like, all right, I get it. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and then the best part is they said, now, can you start next Wednesday? And that's actually the day. <laughs> that's the day after my birthday. <laughs> so literally, I got a job that paid like a lot more money. <laughs> than I was planning on, and I'm starting the day after my birthday. So um, I said all this, obviously, to say, apparently, John was right. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) So, you know, that king's forgiveness... Is, the, is what the parable is about, okay? And we just need to hug it ourselves. But to hug it ourselves, we have to recognize at the root of our unforgiveness is pride. It's pride. It's playing God. It's not being the creature. It's trying to be the creator. And when you try to be the creator, which you can't be, you always distort the other person. 
You never see them the way they are. And, and they may be wrong, but we don't, we don't see them as human. And we certainly can't have pity on them. And I, I can have pity on people I've forgiven. Doesn't mean I, I, doesn't mean I trust them. Doesn't mean I think it was okay. Doesn't mean I don't think that they're, that they're not going to experience some consequences for their behavior. But I see them as, as a person now. I can't see them as a person as long as I hold on to unforgiveness. Because I'm playing God. And at the root of all our troubles are pride. They're all pride. They're about pride. And so I want to just close this morning and just ask, you know, before I release everybody to go, uh, ask prayer team people to come up front. Let me push this out of the way too. And listen, pride, pride is the hardest thing to get rid of. And we don't get rid of it on this side of eternity. We, we, it, it, it decreases. But it only decreases with radical action. And that radical action is you've got to confess it. You have to repent of it. You've got to bring it out in the open. And this is what we're learning. You know, just like Amy said, bringing it out in the open was painful. It was all in her mind. She thought she knew all the right things, but saying the words were painful. It's painful to say something that's true about you that's unflattering. But it's good. Because the, the parable is you have this heavenly father who's the king. And he just wants to, he, he looks at you and says, I have compassion on you. No matter what, you, what you've squandered, whether you did it willfully or you know, just foolishly, not carefully. He says, I'll pay it. I'll cover the cost. Just own it and come to me. And we have to come to him with our pride. Because you can't get to forgiveness and, and, and embracing forgiveness without really taking shots at that pride over and over and over. You can't take shots at the pride unless you confess it. And we just, man, that's the one thing it's so hard to admit. I think, I think there's two things that are hard for Americans to admit. Pride and laziness. Because we really value hard work. But pride is behind all the, all the great moral thinkers in the church have said pride is underneath all our sins. Pride was the first sin, the Bible says. That's what caused Lucifer to fall, was pride. And then he's invited us into that, you know, that journey. And pride something that's it's woven into our culture. We have a, uh, sadly, and all over the world, there are pride cultures and honor cultures and shame cultures. But they're all based on a similar kind of perversion of, of something that's good. So, could, could, like small group leaders and prayer team people, you guys just come up front and, and could you guys just instrument, instrumental? What we're going to pray over you is really simple. What, what you're doing before you leave is this. You're coming up and saying, I've been proud. And I want to confess it as a sin. And I, I want forgiveness. And you know, in Christ you're forgiven. But there's, there's, 
To be forgiven is to be let go. And only God has the power to let you go of your pride. Do you understand that? I know there's theological kind of, you know, fine points wrapped up in this, but there's also like a reality that's wrapped up in it, meaning we have to, God has to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. So we're, you know, there's something cracking in the heart of our church that's good. There's there's a a shell that's been over our hearts that's cracking, but it's cracking because we're repenting. And we're just repenting little by little. And there's little by little stories of freedom coming. Stories of humility. Stories of generosity. Stories of love. You know, stories of joy. Stories of grieving. Because you can't, the thing is, like I said last week, you're not going to be able to forgive people until you grieve what you've lost and what's hurt you. But we got to start with pride. We've got to dig into that one. So when you come up front, you don't have to tell us anything else, but I'm just here because I've been proud. And I want to be forgiven. I want to be let go. I'm, I'm looking to him and saying, Father, would you forgive me and let me go of this pride? Only you can free me. And however you got here, because some of us, the sad thing is, our families are terribly proud. You know, families that hide things, that's about pride. It's, it's not a shame, but it's also about pride. And those family legacies just keep getting passed on. And we have to stop and say, I want to crowd the darkness of that out of my family. And so we got to start with us and say, I don't want that in my heart anymore. And every time I spot it, I'm going to work at it. I'm going to deal with it. And you won't deal with it by hiding it. We never do. Kathy and I have been in this for weeks. We've just been in this interesting season of just talking with each other and exploring honesty in interesting ways. And it's not, it's not comfortable. Kathy's my wife, by the way. Some people look at me, who's Kathy? Who's he talking about? Him and Kathy. But it's incredibly free. We're going to pray simply, you guys listen to this. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we're going to pray over you. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, and by the power of his shed blood, I forgive you of your sin of pride. And I bless you with the presence of the Holy Spirit to begin to fill you with the virtue of humility. And you're going to experience the Spirit come over you. But pride, I, I, I think we're going to explore something over the next few months where we're going to, some of you are going to have visions and see the Lord, but the one who has nail scars in his hands for you, you're in his presence right now. saying, I humbled myself 
to pay the cost for your forgiveness. And I'm inviting you into that kingdom. It's a kingdom of my presence that's all over you. And it's going to increase. But you have to re- reject and repent of pride. And we're going to have to do it in new ways. Some of us are going to have to do it with our money. Some of us are going to have to do it with our politics. We're going to have to do it with race. We're going to have to do it with nationality, with churches. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just all deeply within us. But the good thing is, that's all in the Lord's time, in His way. So why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray just for a minute, and I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and then just dismiss everybody to go. Uh, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he's here now with his nail-scarred hands. And as we come uh, to one another to confess our sin of pride, we are coming to Jesus. We pray that the, the powerful name of Jesus and the power of his shed blood that would be released here into the hearts of people that are precious in your sight. And Lord, I pray that miracles would happen today and that family legacies of pride would be broken and that darkness would begin to be pushed out in new ways. And we just say together as we enter into this simple practice that you are our good, good Father. We have nothing to be afraid of in the light of your love. Thank you that we can come before you like that servant did uh, and know that you're a merciful, good, good Father. My Father, bless all those